This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasudhi. It's our health and living segment Friday. Dr. George Lee in the studio. Welcome, George. How Thank are you Thank you today? so much. Yeah. And we have joining us today as well, Dr. Kartini Abdul-Jaba. She's from the Department of Medical Microbiology, um, Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. We have some interesting things to talk about today, both <laughs> yeah. pretty much, you know, appealing to the man and the woman as well. So Absolutely. our phone lines are open. Um, it's zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can tweet BFM Radio or text zero one six two zero one nine thousand. The two articles. I'm going to start with the first one. Gonorrhea. Um, I think it came out in um, some research in Leeds shows that the number of um, uh, there's a bacteria in. Uh, Gonorrhea is caused by a bacteria. And what's happening now is a certain antibiotic that's used to treat gonorrhea is now uh, the bacteria is becoming resistant to that antibiotic. And in Leeds, they're quite concerned because, um, you know, gonorrhea sometimes doesn't present symptoms. So there are people walking around, um, you know, continue to pass on the gonorrhea to other people. So they don't know the extent of which um, this is going on. And also in the second piece of um, the news that we're going to be looking at is a new DNA sequencing device size of a USB drive used to detect urinary tract infections. And mm. we know women are very prone to urinary tract infections. So what are some of your um, difficulties in, in you know, diagnosing UTI? Um, as well as um, if you're concerned about gonorrhea, um, give us a call. You don't have to <laughs> give us your name. Don't give us your name. Um, Just tell us your friend. Yes. If we suffer this. <laughs> <laughs> so give us a call. Um, we'll kick off the discussion with um, the gonorrhea. Now, what is this? Is this something we should be concerned about, um, George? Right. Well, I'm, I'm awfully excited whenever... I'm not. <laughs> I'm alarmed. <laughs> excited. Well, the thing is that, you know, this is very much up, up my alley. Mm-hmm. So I am relevant uh, compared to last week when we talk about rabies. And yep. I was like, I've never even seen a rabies before. that was nation building. Absolutely. Nation we, building. It's, it's That's helping right. all of us. This is also nation building. You know, <laughs> we're trying to prevent all these silent sufferers. And I'm very excited because today... I have my ex-houseman, who is now... <laughs> Poor um, Katia. <laughs> She's traumatized because even before the mics came on, he was traumatizing that's the poor girl. Right, that's right. And then, you know, She's obviously, a microbiologist. Absolutely. She's doing extremely well. She's a um, you know, lecturer in University of Malaya. And hopefully, she's going to enlighten us a little bit. And I might learn something today, which is, uh, you know, very important topics in, um, you know, about gonorrhea, really. Um, Kartini, Dr. Kartini, do you, can you tell us a little bit more about this article and gonorrhea um, becoming so the bacteria that causes gonorrhea becoming a little bit more resistant towards an antibiotic. Should we be alarmed? Yeah, we should be alarmed. Um, gonorrhea is caused by a bug which is called Neisseria gonorrhea, which is a gram-negative diplococci. Um, and um, basically, the article that we have is um, it showed resistance to azithromycin and also third generation cephalosporins. Which are both antibiotics? Yes, okay. both are antibiotics. Mm-hmm. But over in Malaysia, we use a different set of um, standards for our clinical breakpoints in the microbiology lab. So we use the CLSI, which is Clinical Laboratory Standards Institute from the US, whereas over in the UK and the Europe, they use UCAST. And they have standards, uh, clinical breakpoints for azithromycin. Can you can you elaborate a little bit about the differences, um, you know, in between the American two, and the, the UK British. standards? Okay, the American and the UK standards. Over in the American standards, we don't have breakpoints for azithromycin. What does that mean? So that means we just don't have 
um, how to read uh, whether it's sensitive or resistant based on the based on the drug susceptibility towards the bacteria towards the bacteria. Okay, but we have it for penicillin, cefetriaxone, um, tetracycline, and fluoroquinolones. And over in Malaysia, we would treat it with cefetriaxone or um, cefepime and spectanomycin. Mm-hmm. But but does it matter that much? I mean, yeah. um, obviously. Um, you know, diagnostically, there's one thing, but the thing is that this bug previously was, I mean, you don't remember this much, but, you know, in 1950s, <laughs> in, in my time, right, no, not quite 1950s. That's not true. That, that, you weren't even true. born that's yet. That's right. Okay, I was born in 69. Yeah. But actually, if you look at, um, you know, how the first dr- um, condition that was uh, used to treat um a bug, you know, the penicillin actually treated the first condition was gonorrhea. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, newspaper headline in London, gonorrhea people are cured by penicillin anymore. Penicillin is no longer effective towards gonorrhea. Mm-hmm. And then um, in Malaysia, for example, I mean, I, I am a urologist, but in the UK, urologists don't treat uh, sexually transmitted infection because they are um, a group of doctors called geomedicine and they purely treat this condition. Obviously, in Malaysia, the setting is very different because mm-hmm. many people go to dermatologists yeah. uh, for uh, sexually transmitted infection. Believe it or not, why? That's right, because you know I you didn't have know that. you didn't yeah, because they have all sorts of rashes coming out of different yeah. places. So they go to dermatologists. Otherwise, they go to urologists. Otherwise, they go to um, uh, family family medicine. So does the dermatologist? Um, Send them off to you. No, no, no. They they no, treat. No. They treat, yeah, them they treat that's treat. right. Yeah. So so the first port of call is dermatology in Malaysia. So you know one thing that it will be interesting to discuss is that we are facing potential uh, drug resistance for a common infection. It's a common infection. I mean, you know, Western world or Eastern world, gonorrhea is common out there. So there's some filth going on around uh, around the, yes. you know, different places. But the thing is that the setup is that um, conducive for treatment in Malaysia? You know, is that sort of like, um, you know, environment, is it suitable for to, to eradicate this condition or to treat this condition effectively? That will be a good, interesting point to discuss. Do we know much? What can you tell me about the bacteria, Well, um, the bacteria, as I said, is gram-negative diplococci, and I just, I'm just going to focus about the resistance because, um, as you said, in 1950s, they were treated with penicillin, mm-hmm. but um, based on the data, which is collected by the Institute of Medical Research, and it is published online in collaboration with Ministry of Health Malaysia, they actually um, tabulated that our um, all of our total isolates of Neisseria gonorrhea, 50% is resistant to penicillin, Mm. And then there's an increasing trend of resistance um, towards captrexone. So usually, what we give is captrexone, which is currently our last our line of treatment mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, I mean, majority of patients who present to me will probably receive one dose of intravenous captrexone, yep. and then also one gram of azithromycin. And then, if I really have suspicion that this won't uh, it just will carry on, I might give them doxycycline yep. for one week. So, is that uh, safe in Malaysia at the moment? Is that sort of treatment safe in Malaysia? Are those all three antibiotics? <laughs> For me, wow. That's because You're leaving no stone unturned. Because yeah. it is a condition that uh, if it spread beyond um, um, a naughty boy to their partner, then it becomes very complicated. So you just want to make sure that they are eradicated. So is yeah. that the right way forward? Yes, currently it is. But then unfortunately, because we don't test for azithromycin, we actually don't know whether it's um, still, do we have a growing resistance to its azithromycin or not. So this is actually a, back, uh, a, a step backward. 
rather than a step forward. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're saying is that we have uh, data in Ministry of Health uh, to suggest that uh, all the positive uh, culture mm-hmm. that you have for gonorrhea, we know that it's 50% resistant to penicillin. Yep. Okay. okay. And then keftriaxone? And for keftriaxone in 2012, it was 1.8% resistant. All right. And then it increased to 22 the following year. It's oh, growing. It's growing. That's right. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Okay. What will you do then? Mm. I mean, we're the, the, I mean, globally, we are facing an antibiotic resistance, whether yeah. it's tuberculosis and everything else. Um, and what will we end up doing? Well, that's the that's the way for antimicrobial stewardship programs. What they do is that they restrict the usage of certain antimicrobial certain bugs, uh, certain drugs, because now with the emergence of uh, multi-drug resistant organisms, the WHO realized that bad bugs, no drugs. So you have a lot of bad bug, bugs which are resistant to a lot of antibiotics, but you have no drugs to combat them. Yeah. So basically, we need to restrict the use of keftriaxone, cephalosporin, ciprofloxacin, quinolones, in other infections as well, um, to use it um, sparingly or with a targeted approach for um, therapeutic uses rather than just using it to every Tom, Dick and Harry. Yeah, it's, but it's who sparing. would you just give it out to? Well, the the thing if is, if you don't have gonorrhea, you know, let, let's start with uh, on the beginning yet, yeah. right? Okay, Neisseria gonorrhea is a bacteria that uh, actually harbors in probably two thirds of women completely silently, mm. mm-hmm. right? Okay, and then ten percent of men, you are lucky or unlucky enough, you harbor it and you don't have any symptoms. But majority of men, ninety percent of men, will go to a clinic with constant discharge or pain when they urinate. And that is why they go and see doctors. And then uh, so obviously you can't carry on your day to day living with um with this uh, pain when you mm-hmm. urinate and then they get themselves treated. Uh but the situation is that um majority in Malaysia because we don't have a system like in Netherlands, for example, where people would just turn up to a clinic anonymously, get themselves treated, and then they're given medication to contact trace for that, and then uh, so that they eliminate their partners or their um, uh, misadventures, mm-hmm. kind of like partners. And so what I, I'm hoping Katini can tell us is that is there any uh, measures for us to limit that you know because in a malaysian setting we can uh, treat this for one person but treating that one person is not not a solution Mm -hmm. and of course she highlighted that you know ministry of health um, restrict many medications obviously intravenous medication can be restricted but oral medication we all know is not restricted so i'm I'm interested to hear katini's ideas about in unity malaya what sort of work she's doing and also how our ministry looking forward to kind of like contain this condition because what we don't want is 10 years from today that um, this superbug is, uh, you know, building up resistant just like, you know, 30 years ago yeah. it was sensitive to penicillin and it's 50% resistant in Malaysia. Are we doing any work, Dr. Kartini? Well, we are because what happened was that um, starting September last year, the Ministry of Health Malaysia actually launched the Antimicrobial Stewardship Program and then starting in the middle of this year, they also launched another um, program which is the Malaysian National Antibiotic Guidelines, which is a second edition. And this National Guidelines for Antimicrobials is also available on Google applications. 
and it's free, which means that everybody can just download it and then see what is the appropriate antibiotics they should be receiving. Okay. I want to be that devil's advocate. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> oh, you're going to be a devil's advocate. I, I, I think that she, she knows that I was a nasty boss before, so you I'm going to be nasty be- uh, as well now. No, I, I'm going to ask you, in your opinion, I mean, obviously not too many people listen to this show, so you can say your opinion. is <laughs> like, do you, How effective do you think guidelines for doctors mm-hmm. and also guidelines for patients and also restrictions uh, and with or without enforcement is working in Malaysia? Well, um, with enforcement, they're, they're not really enforcing it that well. <laughs> How do you enforce exactly. something like this? So, you know, we can come up with 1,000 guidelines, but if you can't go around enforced, with a whip. No, you well, can't. you can. Right? <laughs> okay, so let's then go back to the root cause of this. Um, yeah. How do people contract gonorrhea? Okay, let's hear from you. It's um, sexually transmitted disease. So it's contracted to sexual activities, either oral, or vaginal, or through um, anal. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you said that because people always assume that you know oral sex is safe, but it is not because this condition is very infectious, yes, right? It and so, is. You know, it's in almost like 100% infection uh, contact as long as you have bodily fluid exchange, even through oral sex, and then this is transmissible because it's a very, very uh, infectious uh, condition. If it's not treated, what sort of consequences are we looking mm-hmm. at? Well, if it's not treated, what happens is that um, first, like. For males, they might have the urethral discharge, and then much later on, it can disseminate through hematology spread, which means it goes through the bloodstream and it spreads all over the body. So it can be have you can have very dire consequences, and um, ultimately, if the person ends up with um, epidemiarchitis or something, which is. The infections of the balls. Okay. So so naughty boys out there, so you get discharged, you get it spread to your bones and all over the bo- bo- body but, uh, because it, it, it might become septic because mm-hmm. it might be... And uh, many, many patients might actually get uh, infections of the testicle. And I'm sorry, boys, but if you are not married or you don't have children, that might mean infertility in the future because they will block off all the reproductive tracts. Okay. And when you have this poisoning in the blood by the yeah. infection, septis- septicemia. septicemia. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. How do you treat that? Well, antibiotics again? Yes, antibiotics again. But then you have no choice. You must use antibiotics. Even treating for this infection, you must use antibiotics. That's why you need to restrict the usage of this antibiotics for other causes. See, like if the person has a pneumonia, a lung infection, which is community acquired, you don't need to give cetrexone. Mm. You just give something simple like Augmentin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body can't fight this. It has to have an antibiotic. That's why if your body fights this, it will remain silent in your body for a long time. And then you are a reservoir for transmission. And that's why, you know, if 30% yeah. of the, uh, you know, 70% of the populations, uh, female populations, do not know they harbour this condition, there is a huge reservoir in the community that is spreading this condition. That two-thirds um, of the female population harboring this bacteria is a scary thought. It is a scary thought. Are you thought. saying it's lying dormant? Uh, yeah, well. yeah, it can. Because um, for females, you don't actually manifest any symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can just have pelvic inflammatory disease, just some sort of pain, lower back pain, and that's about it. So yeah, you, you'll be, you could be harboring something. Right. Yeah, and then... Um, 
presumably for women, you also may have that um, consequence of sepsis and also the consequence of infertility whenever the bacteria started causing scarring in the pelvis, causing pelvic inflammatory disease. And then that is a quite a dire, long-term, complicated chronic disease. Is it confirmed that with bacteria, it will, I mean, with antibiotics, it will wipe out the bacteria? At the moment? Yes, at the moment, yes. But, but based on data from the UK, they've noticed that you can have um, quite difficult to treat um, Neisseria gonorrhea. So they would have to give it again and again and again, and then. But then you have to think you don't have that many anti uh, you do don't you don't have that many antibiotics to combat this. So you're running out of time. So it's a it's a global approach. Is as in, um, you treat this, but then you have to restrict the use for other things because if it's being used all over the place, then the bugs might interact and they'd say, "Oh, you guys are resistant. I want to be resistant too." Mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah. course, yeah. and but of course, the solution is to go back to the root cause of this. That's right. Uh, okay. For everyone well, what to practice safe sex. <laughs> yeah. Really. Well, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, what alarms <laughs> me a lot, right? Okay. I mean, I've I've got several questions uh, that I would like to ask Katinian, right? Okay. First of all, is that why would something like this happen in the UK? Because there's a lot of restrictions on the um, antibiotic usage. The access to GU medicine is very, very prevalent. It can be anonymous. And why would you have an outbreak like that in Leeds where um, when you have such strict control? If in Leeds we're faced with this super-resistant gonorrhea, in Malaysia, we stand no chance. Yeah, because, because we have no safeguards. <laughs> That's right. Um, you yeah. know, so, so I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I mean, and also they take a lot of measure if that is something that we detect in Malaysia. Um, in the university setting and, mm-hmm. you know, if you are advising ministry, of how do we control this? Because what the lead situation is that as soon as they found out all these 25 people who were con- uh, you know, in, in this situation, they vigorously grill them, trying to find their contacts, mm-hmm. hunt them all down, get it all eliminated, so they control this. And how do we do that in Malaysia if we face this situation? How do we control by getting all the contacts? Yeah, so, so first of all, how, how is Leeds um, kind of like getting themselves into trouble like that? Well, I presume that they've been using the antibiotics for a much longer time period compared to Malaysia because this happened over in the US and over in the um, UK. So what you're saying is that um, this is gonorrhea, is a, it's a more a Western disease and then that is No, it's it. going to happen to us eventually. No, right. eventually because, because yeah. we have more exposure towards yeah. the antibiotics. Right. So the longer the bug is exposed, they would ha- develop some sort of resistance. Okay. They're slower at developing resistances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's been around there longer. Yeah. Um, we are just at a phase when the UK was mem- yeah. maybe a couple of years back or a decade or so ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just making my own conclusions. Yeah, so we've got something to look forward to. To, to, <laughs> <laughs> to console myself. <laughs> There's something called super gonorrhea. What is that? Is that different from the usual gonorrhea? Yeah, it flies the, around. <laughs> <laughs> That's even the worse. Super gonorrhea. <laughs> Basically what happens is that they have um, some sort of gene mutations. So we're all made of some sort of DNA. Yep. So all these bugs, they have gene mutations because once they are introduced to a, to a, to a drug, they would say, oh, I need to find a way to defend myself. So they develop a way to defend. It's a defense mechanism. So once they have that mutation, later on, their offspring, they teach them the same thing. Okay, this is how I survived. You guys need to do the same. Mm-hmm. So this is how it spreads, and this is how it actually manifests. It manifests by being resistant. And that's how it's being called super gonorrhea, like all other super bugs. Mm. Super gonorrhea apparently could be worse than HIV, do you think? 
Well, um, I think any superbug would be quite would be quite, quite disastrous, disastrous anyway. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because now even in HIV, you might have um, resistances. So it doesn't really matter what kind of organism it is. The mainstay is actually to do something about it. For STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, well, as you said previously, the way to go is to practice safe sex. But apart from that, the antimicrobial stewardship program also plays a part by restricting the use of the the drugs used for gonorrhea in other areas. If it's not needed in other areas, don't use it. Then you're using less of the drug. The bugs won't have any experience at all. They would be virgins. Right. Yeah. Oh, never <laughs> thought of a bug that way. <laughs> but, but what about George? I mean, he uses first line antibiotics, second line antibiotics. Oh, I'm glad you say what about George? He uses first line antibiotics. <laughs> what about George's gone? For his patients. <laughs> Isn't that an abuse of antibiotics? Um, because say the right thing. <laughs> it's okay. It's like you know, Well, it, I I often do think that because on one hand I'm looking at somebody who needs to eliminate this and I have one chance. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm looking at I'm overzealous and I am creating problems for myself and my patients later. So you know, am, am I doing the wrong thing here that I will just kill uh, the bugs with three rifles or out? Three, I think the recommendation is only two. All oh, right, two. Okay, <laughs> so he's already <laughs> it's already reaching one the out. So, so, yeah, right. Okay, right. Okay. But I understand your dilemma. That's right. You know, yeah. um, it's, it's it's difficult yeah. to yeah. make that decision. But yes. the thing is that uh, doxycycline is probably building up a lot because it's such an old drug, right? It's yeah. probably has quite significant resistance anyway. So you know, by using it, it's probably something that is um, more or less useless mm-hmm. in some sense. Well, um, for tetracycline, we actually have developing resistances. Um, what sort of data are we looking at? Because we're looking at penicillin, fifty percent. We're looking, uh, uh, you know, keftriaxone about two, two, per- percent. two to three percent. Um, Is this for mycin? In in uh, we you don't have data for that no, because in, in Malaysia, Malaysia we, we don't, don't check test, that. Yeah, we don't test. But for tetracycline, we don't have for doxycycline. We have for tetracycline mm-hmm. is about eighty three percent in twenty thirteen. Eighty three percent resistance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, this is how scary it is. So, so right, that's, right, that's right. Okay, yeah. right. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, actually, you know, the interesting thing, you know, obviously, we have to move on to the unitrack infections uh, in a short while. But um, what I am concerned about is that the environment, that the ecology that we have in here for the health setup, the framework is not allowing patients to be treated sooner and not allowing too many patients to be treated. So, you know, a lot of people look at um, the Netherlands models because Mm -hmm. uh, access to uh, geomedicine is easy, contact tracing is easy, medication is easy, Mm -hmm. follow-up to ensure that there's no more infection is easy, and also registered sex workers and constant monitoring of sex workers to ensure that the reservoirs is as diminished as possible. What's your view on that? Okay, um, we're looking at models based on ideals. Ideal. Yeah. It's a utopia that do you think we, we can, you know, I mean, we, we, the first thing that you highlighted that you work so hard to create guidelines. 
if the guideline is not not enforced, and I'm at your ex-boss, and then you know I don't enforce that. I'm using an old dinosaur drugs that has eighty-seven percent success rate, and then it's like you know if the guideline is not enforced, you're working hard for no real benefit, which is what I'm worrying about. So we need to tackle. Do you think a tackle. register will work um, in Malaysia at the moment? I mean, we face already so much stigma and discrimination um, registering sex workers. I mean, I, it makes sense. You can then track a whole load of other STDs, you know. But is that, do you think that's something that will work? I think it's a good idea, but I also think that it's a utopian idea because you have an influx of immigrants and you have an influx of people coming in and out of Malaysia. You don't have control over that. Mm-hmm. So you can't really control um, all the sex workers or casual sex workers because you, you, there's no way. But the only other way is actually to educate the public um, and then depreciate, decrease the stigma. Because um, if if you're shy about it, they don't come forward and then you can't treat it. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to treat everyone at the same time because if you miss one person, it might have dire consequences. They might actually get disseminated. It goes into the blood. They fall very sick. And by the time you identify it, because cultures usually take about three to five days, um, you might be too late. Why does the culture take such a long time? You need bugs to grow. They need all the nutrients and everything to grow overnight. Is this bug um, culturable? Because it's supposed to be an intracellular diplococcus, is that right? Um, Or is that the chlamydia? That's the chlamydia. Nicere gonorrhea is culturable, but it's very fastidious. So they need extra stuff. They need chocolate agar or something. (laughs) Modified. (laughs) Never thought of a bug that way. (laughs) That's right. They they need to be enticed a little bit more to see whether they grow or not. Chocolate and virgins. That's right. Oh, wow. The bug is <laughs> now we're looking at gonorrhea in a different light altogether, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so what you're saying is to at least, you know, reduce the stigma so people can come and get treated. Yeah. That would be the first thing to do, actually. Yeah. yeah. But I think our younger generation, they don't have, they're not really stigmatized by this. They actually come forward. The only problem is that the older generation are the ones playing hooky. Yeah, she's looking know. at me. In the, in the younger generations, I actually think that Gen Y treat this. Uh, just, uh, she can't <laughs> stop laughing. That's right, I know. Older like, generations. Older generations. I'm sending him off it, to a geriatrician. That's right. <laughs> well, not too long. It's like, you know, I, I, I like that because I really think that um, Gen Y to consider that this is not a taboo, it's a condition that needs to be treated, need attention, and then the when there's no barrier then we have a future. And also, it's, it's up to Gen Y to feel that sense of obligation that I do not want to bow to uh, taking antibiotics from um, uh, unauthorized sources. I don't want to take it. I want it to be uh, prescribed. I want it to be monitored. I want to prove that I have eliminated this condition. And I really think that's a way forward. That's very interesting about how the younger generation is happy to come forward. Why? There's why do you a, think that's that, a, why do you, a, basically? you know that that just opens up another discussion altogether. I think it's because they have uh, more access to it, um, more information. information. Mm. So when they know what's important, what's not really important, it's and they know that uh, having gonorrhea is going to be an important issue. So they would know that they would need treatment for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I deal with many sufferers who are suffering in silence because they are so scared they're thinking about 1,001 other infection that is associated with this because they make one mistake in their lives. And then I think that itself, it's a completely complex psychological 
tra- uh, torture because on one hand you you don't want to be judged by the doctor you go and see and then on the other hand and then you are just suffering in silence and then because you have no idea what else you have contracted mm-hmm. and i really think that's a torture i ain't coming to you go <laughs> <laughs> well, to somebody you really don't know right, exactly yeah. <laughs> see that's right Taboo so i said stigma yeah. isn't it but i i get, i get patients from the other side of town coming to me because mm-hmm. you know they just worry that um they might get seen um you know in in the local area so so you know we, we there are all sorts of ways to kind of avoid uh being uh identified okay we spoke about the worst thing that could happen to men if they don't get a treatment uh, treated what happens to the women well it's about the same thing only it happens in the women like the pelvic inf- inflammatory disease and then they get scarring and then they might also get infertility and then if it goes into the blood then they might get it into the bloodstream they might fall really sick and then yeah if it harbors when does it strike when you're immunocompromised mm, no it doesn't it ha- just stays there all the time and it just spreads and spreads and spreads okay, very i've quietly. seen i've seen healthy people with disseminated um, gonorrhea and they're young and um, they that that person was unaffected he just said yeah i have it but then his mom was a bit upset <laughs> keep your mom out of this <laughs> that's, that's right because sometimes you know um you you get um parents bringing children in and and, and i said children but you know uh, older um, Why? kids well um because number one the the young adults don't really know what they have contracted okay. number two the parents always wanted to you know traditionally they always take their kids to go and see doctors and they just assume this is an an infection that they want to get involved and then and also pay for their expenses and things like that and then as soon as they found out um this is this person has actually started sexual activities then there's a lot of discussions in that evening in that household <laughs> which is i suppose a good thing it is a good thing yeah. and then but the thing is that um you know it takes a little bit of mm. infection to get that started probably has it should have done that before the infection was initiated I right know. i'm just very curious when a parent and you know young adolescent comes to you george who do you ask the first question <laughs> who do i ask them? yeah the parent well, or the child um well um it's a very sensitive situation right let me okay. guess you always ask the parent right you direct the question to the parent no, first no 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 uh, no matter how young the child is i always talk to the patient right okay and then but i if this was a very sensitive subject i will work round the subject and then eventually trying to find um a suitable opportunities where i am with the patient without the parents and I, i'll ask all the real questions okay all right okay we're discussing um gonorrhea um just now we're going to move on and talk about urinary tract infections there's a little device uh, sequencing dna dna sequencing device size of a usb drive apparently that has come to be which will help detect um urine samples for uti so we'll have that discussion up next if you have a question on gonorrhea as well um give us a call the number 0377109000 you can tweet bfm radio or text 0162019000. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasudi. Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist in the studio with us together with Dr. Katini Abdul-Jaba. She's from the Department of Medical Microbiology, Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. We're discussing two topics today, um gonorrhea as well and now we're moving on to urinary tract infections um treatment all of which very much up Dr. George's alley and um <laughs> I wanted to find out from Dr. Katini this new DNA 
sequencing device, size uh-huh. of a USB drive. What's all the hype about it? Okay, um, actually, it's been around for a few years, but then it was act- officially unveiled over in ICAC, which is um, a conference for international conference for antimicrobials and chemotherapy over in San Diego. And this conference is a big thing because it's organized by two by two um, by two organizations, which is ISID, International Society of Infectious Diseases, and also ASM, which is American Society of Microbiology. So every year they have this big conference, and this and everyone time, waiting to launch their yeah. PSA resistance. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 that's when they start selling whatever products that they have. So this thing is a nanopore sequencer, which basically what happens is that, um, as I said previously, every bug or every person they have DNA. So what they do is that they extract that DNA, and then um, the the reading that's what the USB that USB gadget is for. Is to read all the sequences, and then after that, they churn out the results in twelve hours. All right, so, so it's fast. It's fast. Okay, so essentially, so I can do it at home. No, no, you still have to extract and everything. So it's a lot of equipment still. So you're extracting blood or urine. Um, based on for DNA sequencing, theoretically, you can ex- as a, you can extract a lot of things, but um, it's it's just a process on how you extract it. So for this one that in the article that was given um, is from the urine. Mm-hmm. So in the urine, basically what you have is probably just a bug because if you have if it's cloudy, it's going to be a lot of bugs. So they cut up the bug, they run it through, and then the sequencer just reads it, and then it gives you a result. Let, let me get this right, okay? Essentially, it's just like a pregnancy kit, and then you kind of like dip it in there, and then you know, twelve hours later, you get a result saying what sort of bugs you have. No. It's like a high-tech pregnancy kit, which requires some sort of lab work. Oh, you still require lab you work. Oh. Yeah. You can't do it at home, <laughs> like, Because what it says in there was like, you know, this instant, you know, um, identifier. And then you suddenly say, so, you know, the immediate thing is like, you know, I read through the, the data and I was going, okay, right. From my imagination, it is just that you pee into a bottle, you dip in there, and then it will come out and say, okay, E. coli. It, it, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> If only. Yes. Well, maybe like 50 years down the line. Yeah, maybe. Years. It'll, it'll I don't like have that. 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> what about traditional ways of detecting? Yeah, exactly. What is oh, yeah. Explain to the listeners basically a little bit. what we do, we have culture. We also have the urine FEME, which is basically the microscopy of it. So they would, they would need to look at both. But for culture, it's kind of difficult because um, what we do is that we separate out how many quality forming units per mil that you can read and then if it's a high number I'm glad you're here today because I get um, many patients who have recurrent urinary tract infections Mm -hmm. so I want to I want you to clarify two things number one is that you know they always ring up the clinic because obviously they're anxious they say look you know have we got results have we got results so what I would like you to do is just explain a little bit as soon as they send the urine off what what sort of long processes that you go through in order to identify what bug and what sensitivity. That's the first thing. And the next thing I also want you to say is what any advances to treat um, uh, a lot of listeners out there and patients who suffers from recurrent urinary tract infections. Okay. So what happens over in the lab is that when we receive the specimen, it needs to be fresh specimen, preferably from that day itself. Or if they need to keep it overnight, then it has to be refrigerated. And then what happens is that over in our lab, we put a stick dipstick in it and then after that we put it on our agar plate 
and then after that it's incubated the next for the next day 24 hours and then the next day it is red now the problem is that we have differing um, ways of interpretation from lab to lab so for UMMC what happens is that if it's single uh, it's just one type of organism from from the plate then and if it's a significant number then they would continue to process it but if it's if it's a, if it's mixed this is where the difficulty comes in over in our center we basically if it's mixed we ju- we don't we don't process it further it's just released out as mixed coliforms or mixed culture but some other centers they actually look at the predominant uh, predominant um organism and then they would actually try to identify that predominant organism this is the difficulty because sometimes um it might be important to know the predominant organism but and sometimes it might not be helpful because there's just too many there's yeah you, there's so many um urine cultures in a day and ultimately it's back to the person treating the patient whether the symptoms for, for a lab tally. like UMMC how many urines do you go through in a day um i think about 40 to 50 Per day. day, yeah. All right. Our total number of lab um, for all our lab um, specimens is about three hundred thousand, which is about one hundred thousand more from the past five years ago. Three hundred thousand over specimens. specimens over the last. Um, it's one hundred thousand more compared to five years ago. Okay. Uh, over five years, three hundred thousand. So this is over no, 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 no. no one 300, year. Three hundred thousand a year. Three hundred thousand specimens per year. Oh, <laughs> You're doing a lot more than forty per day. Yeah, that's much <laughs> more than forty a day. Um, that's for all, all specimens. All okay. oh, right. Okay. So right. our year, we also have a lot, mm-hmm. and ultimately they do it really fast. And um, so, but at the end of the day, no matter what you grow, you still have to tally it with what person's having. Mm. So it's a clinical correlations. Yes. I'm very curious. 300,000 specimens. What do you do with the cultured bacteria after? <laughs> incinerate it. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, we incinerate um yes. most of them. I think that's a legal those, requirement. Those which are um multidrug resistant, we actually stock them in case that in future we need to do some sort of research to see what kind of resistance is mm. how they develop and all that. It might be helpful in in our future treatment and all. Dangerous place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's all growing in there. These microbiologists. That's right. Them Let's watch them because you know. Eye. That's right. <laughs> But George also mentioned. Oh, sorry, we have LTY on the line. Hi, LTY. You have a question. Good afternoon, Mira. Good afternoon, Doctor George. Good afternoon. We're looking forward to your question. Yes. Uh, my question is regarding a uh, UTI. Okay, I I wish to raise three points. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. George, this is your ball game. All right. It is my ball game. Uh, UTI is uh, in men uh, is quite un- is is uncommon, mm-hmm. and the underlying problem could be uh, prostatitis or mm-hmm. STI. All right. Mm-hmm. My second point is UTI may be sy- symptomatic or non-symptomatic. Uh, a sudden deterioration of mental state in the elderly like me, lah. Okay, may be an indication of the presence of an in- infective process that is UTI. Mm-hmm. The third point is residue volume of urine. Which can happen to me also, elderly, in the bladder and abnormality to the structure of UTI or calculus. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, stone, uh, not, not in mathematics calculus, all right? Mm. Uh, also increase the risk of uh, infection. Kindly comment, Dr. Okay. George. Thank, yeah. you. Thank, Thank you very much, Elton. Thank you. Yeah. 
I think LTY is a, a urologist in disguise. I know. <laughs> uncommon very, in men. It yeah. is very uncommon in yeah. men. It's like, you, know, you get 10 women and one man who gets that. So there is a study that was done a while ago to say that cutoff is 40. Anybody who's below 40, you get UTI. This is likely to be STD. If this is anything that's above 40, it's likely to be big prostate. So it's, it's those men who actually bang on around 40. We can't decide whether you're naughty or you're just old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hold that thought? We're going to come back uh, after a quick market update and address some of our LTY's questions. Up next, if you have a question, give us a call. The number is 03-7710-9000. Tweet BFM Radio or text 016-201-9000. Good afternoon. And if you've just joined us, welcome. It's Friday. Dr. George Lee, um, consultant neurologist in the studio. And we have today Dr. Kartini Abdul-Jabba from the Department of Medical Microbiology, Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. Um, discussing right now about UTI, um, urinary tract, infections. We had a discussion about gonorrhea, um, the bacteria that causes gonorrhea becoming more resistant towards certain types of bacteria and um, alarming indeed. Um, I think all of us should be concerned about that. Now, just moving on to UTI, it's always um, a problem diagnosing because it takes a long time to actually yeah. culture the bacteria and uh, to decide whether or not somebody is in fact suffering from UTI. So now they've come up with a new DNA sequencing device the size of a USB drive, which could possibly speed up that process. Um, do you think it's really going to speed up the process? Well, it'll speed up, but then you still need the technical um, technical people for it technical personnel for it because mm-hmm. it's all lab work and it's um, a DNA sequencer at the end of the day. So it sounds awfully expensive. It is. I'm sure it is. Because it's all molecular work. All right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anything that says DNA <laughs> is expensive. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Till we get to research and you know many, many years to come. So this is another utopia. We talk about one utopia before. No, we'll, no, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, like but everything like, else. So like, Think about computers. Think about computers. Like the 1970s, they might be really expensive and they're huge and they're bulky. All right. But now you can just get it in, in yeah. like what? I'm just worried I don't have that long. <laughs> <laughs> You're living to 250, remember? Um, I do try with all, that that with, with that, all that infection. With all that I don't think I'm going very far. <laughs> we did spoke about, um, um, LTY did sp- uh, speak about mental state and um, Yeah, I mean, in fact, in fact, one of the things that, um, you know, we're talking about geriatric patients earlier yeah. on. I mean, you know, Katini probably will just tell you that um, in any institution, if you have, like, say, uh, care homes, anyone, if we have an conf- a confused person, yeah. male or female, I think there's a good chance it's either unitrate infection or yeah. uh, chest infection. Yeah. What does that mean? It means that basically in the elderly person, you might not get a proper history. It's very difficult to get proper history. And, bas- and to tr- usually for diagnosis, 90% of the time, if you get a good history, you get your diagnosis easy. But if it's a little frail old man or a little frail old lady and they can't really tell you what they did and what happened, they can't give you any sequences, don't chronological order, and they're in confused, you don't know what's happening. You What you do is that you just do a septic workout, which is basically you check the blood for cultures, you check the urine for cultures, you send sputum for cultures, whatever, you check the lungs. And then after that, you just bang with some sort of empiric therapy, whatever's First, your impression is buying it with some sort of uh, with some sort of um, antibiotic. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, okay. this is this is quite a common practice, and then sometimes um, poor old ladies or men who actually continue to get confused, but when they receive the right antibiotics, they are normal again, and then so this is what uh, LTY was highlighting. But you don't really know what you treated. That's uh, that's because right. Because you just Bec- found a bacteria. Well, n- not necessarily. I mean, because it's just like you know, if they. If the care home people just say, you know, um, this person is just confused. But the thing is that don't just take on its face values mm. because they, there's a reason behind the confusion. It's not just dementia all the time. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's mm. interesting. And the yeah. last thing he said was about um, anatomical. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Essentially, you know, he's right that all men, uh, to if you live old enough, you're going to get prostate problem. When one of the prostate problems actually is you don't empty your bladder completely, and that reservoir that's left behind is a source of infection, and that infection, um, you know, or anatomical problems such as stones, or you have any problems in your anatomy, then you're more likely to get uh, other infections. Yeah, so because what happens is that the urine start has the stasis of the urine, which means that the urine is just stuck there; they can't move around. They're, they're floating around and then when it's floating around there what happens is that it can get infected and that's how you end up with a urinary infection and why does UTI keep recurring for women? Mm. Um, for women um, basically for women young sexually active women um, they get urinary tract infections but the difference between females and males is that they're anatomically different so the urethra is shorter and it is more likely to get infected yeah. well essentially women have four phases that they are more prone to infections. One is childhood, and then in childhood, they get reflux, more common than uh, than boys. And then the second phase, perhaps, is during sexual activities. It's called honeymoon cystitis, mm-hmm. funnily enough. And then the third phase, actually, is during pregnancy. You can imagine that during pregnancy, there's a lot of reflux of pressure of urine yeah. up to the kidney. And lastly, is uh, postmenopausal. So, short straw, I'm, I'm afraid. Okay, <laughs> all right. And uh, the device, um, the USB device also de- detects resistance to antibiotics, am I correct? Yeah, the resistance is because it's um, DNA, what happens is that they would, they would detect the resistance genes. Oh, you, you can identify mutations to yeah, see what sort of... mutations. Oh, wow. But then, as I, you see, the thing is that you want to see um, the resistance on the plate because then you would know, oh, for this, for this antibiotic, it's not going to work. You don't have resistances for all antibiotics. So is that that might be a shortfall because you can't test for everything. You can only and then for in future you might uh, there might be new research. They might find out oh there are other resistant resistant genes. So this is the difficulty. But I think bec- what they're going to do is that they're going to keep on updating it and they're going to improve it. And it would be a bit more efficient and it would also have a wider spread over what kind of resistances it can detect. Are you excited about it? Mm, it's expensive, not really. Lukewarm. I okay. can sense that. <laughs> I mean, there are potential <laughs> problems as well yeah. in terms of detail. But just think of it as a 1970s computer, right? You know, it's yes. like 40 years down the line, it is some excitement, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> benefiting all of us. It That's will benefit right. our children Absolutely. or our grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to close with your advice for prevention of STIs and UTIs. So for STIs... <laughs> Safe sex. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Nothing else. That's yeah. it. Or no sex. As simple yeah. as that. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you, George. Uh, okay, right. And then uh, for recurring urinary tract infection? Well, for recurring urinary tract, as 
I don't really have much advice. Maybe you could give yeah, better okay, advice. Yeah, right, okay, right, okay. Before I say that, now's on my last words, right? I say, yes. okay. Actually, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, she did urology, and she was so inspired that she actually had to carry on doing microbiology about urology and unit. Yes, I know. She's a reflection of that how good you are. That's yeah. right. Okay. All right. Before she came in, she was terrified. You know, when I told her that I was going to grill her, she said, "This is like an exam." So it's an end, right? No, it's like a ward round so again. Was, was it as painful as you? thought no no not really because <laughs> I that made bad. the difference yeah, that's absolutely yeah. no she has got calming effect on me before I get too naughty your message you right, okay, right. alright alright see <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm very excited about this you know and I'm also excited about the these uh, because Unitrack infection is always perceived as a not too sexy um, medical subject, you know, unitrack infection, infection per se. However, it is a real threat when you see that 87% of tetracycline actually is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, is resistant to tetracycline. I really think that is a real threat. And then I really am quite pleased with a lot of work that you guys are doing in UMMC and keep up with great work. Thank you okay. both. Thank you much. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, and Dr. Kartini Abdul Jabba on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.